0: One thing before we start the show, I want to let you know about a special interview you'll hear at the end of this episode. It's with the host of a brand new podcast called art the architects of art. The cool thing is this show is hosted by Director X and Taj Critchlow, two of the biggest music video directors on the planet. These guys are responsible for game-changing videos from artists like Drake and Coldplay and Kendrick Lamar and so many more. Hope you enjoyed the discussion. I sure did. That's coming up at the end of this episode. All right, let's get on with things. Over the last decade, there have been some very, very long overdue attempts at reconciliation with the First Nations and indigenous peoples of North America. Now, there's still a very long way to go, but at least the process has begun. The treatment of indigenous people makes for some really ugly history. But it has also been enlightening in positive ways. For example... We now have been learning more about First Nations music and the role people who identify as Native Canadians and Americans have played in the world of rock. Some are full-fledged First Nations people. Others have at least some Native blood. Some are well-known, and others have been hiding in plain sight. And I think it's time that we go through some of these contributions. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. That's A Tribe Called Red with a 2016 single entitled Stadium Pow Wow. A Tribe Called Red is based in Ottawa and has included members of Six Nations of the Grand River, Cayuga First Nation, and Nipissing First Nation. They blend dance and hip-hop and dubstep with First Nations music into a sound that's been called Pow Wow Step. And they began when two members realized that there was no club night in the Ottawa area. Nothing in the Ottawa music scene that represented the music of their people. And the band grew from that, and they became increasingly involved in activism. They've since won Junos, they've won video awards, and they've had two Polaris Music Prize nominations. Welcome again, I'm Alan Cross, and this program on indigenous alternative music has been suggested by a number of listeners. There's been a growing awareness of the music made by people of First Nations descent. Now, in Canada, we can credit Gord Downey's activism to a very great extent. And we can also note the awareness created by the Players Music Prize, which has put forward albums created by Indigenous performers, some of which have won the grand prize. Still, some of what you will hear on this show will be unfamiliar, but there will also be a few songs that you've known for years. And you'll hear music from people who may not have realized have actual connections to Native communities. Here is a prime example The guy who popularized the idea of playing power chords on an electric guitar was a Native American. His name was Link Ray, and he was born in North Carolina to parents from the Shawnee tribe. But that ethnicity was obscured by census documents that identified him as white, but he was definitely Native American. In 1958, he released his first single, which was a fuzzy, distorted instrumental very unique for its day because it was recorded years before there was such a thing as a fuzz pedal for the guitar. At the time, electric guitars were supposed to sound clean and clear. Nobody was experimenting with distortion and feedback. But after messing around with an instrumental entitled Oddball and then poking holes in the speaker of his amp, Link came up with a dirty and dangerous sound. He retitled the composition Rumble, because he thought it sounded like a street fight. And it did because it was banned by radio stations in both New York and Boston because it sounded like, and this is a quote, glorified juvenile delinquency. Now remember, this is an instrumental. Guitarist Link Ray, a Shawnee Indian from North Carolina with Rumble, he has been called the inventor of the power chord. Jimmy Page, Pete Townsend, guys like that, picked up the guitar in part because of Link Ray. Another important guitarist with native blood is Robbie Robertson, best known for his work with the band. His mom was a Cayuga and Mohawk raised on the Six Nations Reserve west of Toronto. Robbie's biological father was killed while changing a flat tire on the side of a highway. He was adopted by his mother's second husband, and then they lived out of Toronto. But Mum frequently traveled back to Six Nations to visit family. Robbie had a radio on which he listened to rock and blues coming in from American stations. He worked as a carny as a kid, including in a freak show, before he started playing in bands at the age of 14. And from there, he became part of Ronnie Hawkins' backup group. And then Bob Dylan came along and hired this group to be his backup group. And then there was the period when Bob didn't need them, so they recorded on their own as the band. And it's fascinating that one of the most American sounding rock groups of the 20th century was actually made up of Robbie and a bunch of other Canadians. The only non-Canadian was drummer Levon Helm, he was from Arkansas. Robbie's most famous solo work is a self-titled album from 1987. This is from that record, and it was a big alt-rock radio hit at the time.
2: You stir the soul, I can't find, no control.
0: Robbie Robertson was Somewhere Down the Crazy River, a song that was an alt-rock radio hit back in 1987. Robbie later went deep into his native Canadian roots with a 1994 album entitled Music for Native Americans and a 1998 record called Contact from the Underworld of Red Boy. It's also worth noting that Robbie worked on the music for the Martin Scorsese movie Casino and Gangs of New York and The Wolf of Wall Street and a couple of others. And he's also done film work with Oliver Stone, too. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's in Canada's Walk of Fame. He has a Governor General's Performing Arts Award. He's in the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. He's also an officer of the Order of Canada. And he inspired the Aboriginal Lifetime Achievement Award. Let me throw a few other names in here. You know how I said that some of our subjects are hiding in plain sight? Jimi Hendrix's mother, one-quarter Cherokee, that made him, uh, what, one-eighth? Did I have that right? Cher claims to be one-eighth Cherokee heritage. She even had a single in 1973 called Halfbreed. Rita Coolidge, the pop singer from the 80s, is also of Cherokee descent. A band called Redbone had a series of hits in the 1970s. The two brothers fronting the group were of mixed Native American origin. Then we have Blackfoot, a southern hard rock band that's been around in one form or another since 1970. Frontman and guitarist Ricky Medlock, who was also in Leonard Skinner for a time, is a Lakota Sioux in Cherokee. Bass player Greg T. Walker, again, another Skinner alumnus, is from the Florida Cree Nation. Joey Belladonna of Anthrax is part Iroquois on his mother's side. And how about this? Anthony Kiedis of the Red Hot Chili Peppers says somewhere in his family tree is Mohican heritage. This is a very brief history of indigenous alternative rock. And look at the contributions made by native Canadians and Americans to our music. We're not going to cover everybody on this show, but we are going to touch on a bunch of names that everybody should know. Next up is Cashton. This was Claude McKenzie and Florent Volat, two Innu men from the Meliotenem Reserve, which is along the St. Lawrence River in Quebec. Their name has two meanings. First of all, it means tornado in their language but it's also a bit of a joke because some of the people back home thought that they were selling out. No, 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 they said we're cashed in. Cashed in sang in a language known as Inu Amen, which is spoken by fewer than 12,000 people. There were three cashed in albums, which not only became hits in Quebec, but also in parts of English, Canada, France, and of all places, Greenland. I want to play a single from their self-titled debut album. This single was played on Canadian Alternative and College Radio when it came out back in 1989. <gasps> from the northern shores of the St. Lawrence River in Quebec near Setil. The song is from their 1989 self-titled debut album and is called "Tishnanu." Radio play and record sales back then helped establish Cashton as one of the most successful First Nations bands in Canadian history. Now let's move to the world of metal, starting with a punk and alternative rock band from Phoenix called Blackfire. Two brothers and a sister, all from the Arizona Navajo Nation, the Dine to be specific, Their father was a traditional medicine man who also made sure his kids knew about the tribe's music. And he also didn't mind that the kids really, really liked bands like the Ramones. Blackfire was founded in 1989 and have sporadically released a series of EPs and albums. They try to play only all ages venues. And they like to call their music alternative because while the sound is alternative, the subject matter deals with native concerns like human rights and genocide, environmental issues, domestic violence. They've played all over the world, including on the Warp Tour, and they've worked with members of the Ramon Circle. Their best-known album is probably a 2007 release called Silence is a Weapon. And from that is Indian Alien. This is Blackfire.
2: I'm an <laughs> Indian, I'm an I'm a stranger in this town. Your white man's your
0: A powerful song from Blackfire, two brothers and a sister from Arizona, all members of the DNA. that's called Indian Alien, from a 2007 album entitled Silence is a Weapon. Next up is more metal in the form of Testament. Their history goes back as far as 1983 in Berkeley, California. Their front man is a guy named Chuck Billy, and that's his real name, Charles Billy. In addition to working with Testament, he's also contributed to Exodus, another metal band, and once had a shot at being the front man for Sepultura. He's also friends with a ton of other big-name metal dudes. Chuck fits into our history because his father was Native American. He's of the Pomo, a tribe indigenous to Northern California. He often acknowledges that when the band plays live. He participated in an exhibit at the Smithsonian called Up Where We Belong, Native Americans in Popular Culture, and he's had his own display at the Hard Rock Hotel. By the way, I should point out, speaking of the Hard Rock Hotel that the entire hard rock empire is actually owned by the Seminole tribe of Florida. 185 cafes, 25 hotels, 12 casinos, 74 countries. Okay, back to Chuck Billy and Testament. If you're familiar with the band, you'll know that there are more than a few songs inspired by Chuck's heritage. And here's one called Trail of Tears. 1994, there's Testament with Trail of Tears, a song inspired by frontman Chuck Billy's Native American heritage. We're not done. Three more examples of Indigenous alternative, including something from the most famous woman in this space. And yes, she's Canadian. This is a quick history of Indigenous alternative, contributions from key Aboriginal musicians across North America. Again, we can't possibly cover everyone, but I think we're getting the idea of how deeply First Nations people have been embedded in rock. And now I'd like to focus on examples of more contemporary material. Here's a band that I've been following for a number of years now, Midnight Shine. They're from Attawapiskat up on the shores of James Bay in Northern Ontario. This is a million miles from nowhere. The key guy is Adrian Sutherland. He's Cree, completely fluent in the language, which is called Mushkigawak. He's very in touch with his heritage. Powwows, harvest festivals, hunting rituals. And he acts as a traditional knowledge keeper of his people. The band members are scattered far and wide across northern Ontario. Roads? Don't need roads. Sometimes the only way to rehearsals on the back of a snowmobile. Drummer George Gillies is from Fort Albany, which is down the coast about 100 kilometers from Attawapiskat, while bass player Stan Lewitt and guitarist Zach Tomatak are from Moose Factory, which is another 130 kilometers south. So, all the members are separated by about 230 kilometers of roadless wilderness. Adrian tells a story of going on a goose hunt and then riding a skidoo across the ice of James Bay for two days, then flying to Timmins and then driving nine hours to Toronto. The band started in 2011 when Adrian got a gig opening for Trooper and Timmins. But that went over so well he decided that Midnight Shine needed to become a permanent thing, and that led to a series of albums and national tours and festivals and radio airplay across the country. I want to play you something from their second album, which came out in 2014. It's called Northern Man. And the lyrics I think are pretty self-explanatory. This is called Here I Am. You From Attawapiskat in Northern Ontario, a place that's been in the news for so many sad reasons like a housing crisis, a major suicide epidemic, drug problems, and more. Uh, But guys like Adrian Sutherland refuse to give up on their home and their neighbors. This is where we finally get to Buffy St. Marie. Now, Buffy was born in the Capel Valley in Saskatchewan in 1941, and she's been an activist for Native causes for as long as she can remember. She is a member of the Peapot Plains Cree First Nation. But then she was adopted and grew up in Massachusetts, and those adopted parents were of Mi'kmaq descent. In the 1960s, she developed as a singer-songwriter and hung out in Toronto's Yorkville district at the same time as Neil Young and Leonard Cohen and Joni Mitchell and John Kay, who would later form Steppenwolf, and many others. Other people started covering her songs. Janis Joplin, Donovan, and even, much later of course, Courtney Love. She had a hit protest song towards the end of the 60s called Universal Soldier, which became an anti-Vietnam anthem. In the early 70s, she was the leading female voice in the effort to make the plight of Native Americans heard. This was known as the Red Power Movement, something she said got her banned from some radio stations. She became a regular on Sesame Street, teaching kids about Native culture. In 1982, she won an Academy Award and a Golden Globe and a BAFTA for the song Up Where We Belong, which was sung by Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warrens in the movie An Officer and a Gentleman. She's also a visual artist who has had exhibitions and galleries all across North America. She has a nonprofit called the Nahiwan Foundation for the American Indian, which reaches out to young people from tribes all across North America and even out to Hawaii. And I could go on with all the honorary doctorates, the Juno Awards, the Hall of Fame Awards all the other assorted awards. But I do need to mention this. In 2015, at the age of 74, she won the Polaris Music Prize for her album, Power in the Blood. And then in 2017, she came out with a record entitled Medicine Songs, which was a mix of new recordings, covers, and re-recordings of her older songs. The album leads off with this song, which also features vocals from Tanya Tagak. She won the Polaris Music Prize in 2014, And she is an Inuk Throat singer from Cambridge Bay in Nunavut. This double shot is called You Got to Run. Two Indigenous Canadians, two Polaris Prize winners, Buffy St. Marie and Tanya Tagak, together on a 2017 song called You Got to Run. And one more. This duo also has a Polaris Music Prize connection. They made the shortlist of finalists in 2018 with their album The Average Savage. They're snotty-nosed kids, members of the Heisla Nation in BC. They grew up just south of Kitimat. And I want to play you this. Snotty Nose Rez Kids recorded this as a protest song against the Trans Mountain Pipeline. It's called Warriors.
1: Look what happened in Flynn. No disrespect, but the same thing happens to village kids. that see water from the tap. Been a time to live, from the cancer it gives. Where's the state of emergency for them? I don't know. Act like you know the story. You know the story. Broken <laughs> treaties, unholy
2: matrimony. matrimony. One nation, under the creator, homie. Yeah. All my relations, many with Choney.
0: Snotty knows Rez Kids with Warriors. Okay, I want to stress that this program did not contain the definitive number of First Nations musicians from Canada and the United States. Let me run a few more names past you. Taboo from the Black Eyed Peas is part Shohan Indian. That said, Blackie Lawless of the metal band Wasp is part Cherokee. I can't confirm that, but that's what I've been told. There's a blues rock band from the Northern Plains called Indigenous. If you like Stevie Ray Vaughan, you should give them a listen. Susan Aglukark is an Inuk musician from Nunavut. She is an excellent pop, folk, and country singer. If you want to go even deeper, there's a subgenre of metal in the southwestern United States called res metal. And keep in mind that we've only focused on the indigenous peoples of North America. The original people of places like Brazil and Australia and New Zealand and so many other countries have made their own contributions to rock. For example, there's a Maori metal band from New Zealand called Alien Weaponry who are really good. Lots to discover here. So if you have any more information, please pass it along to alan and alancross.ca and I'll archive it for further use. Meanwhile, I hope you can join me on my website, which is a journal of musical things.com. It's updated every day. It also comes with a free daily newsletter, which will keep you informed on what's happening. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We should connect. And oh, all the ongoing history podcasts. They're available through iTunes or wherever you get your on demand audio. They're all free. Of course, And if you can, please rate and review. That helps us a lot. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. Thanks for listening. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Before we leave today's ongoing history of new music podcast, uh, I want you to know that we're part of a network called Curious Cast. And Curious Cast has a lot of podcasts available on its network. And one of the new ones is called Art And I have two of the hosts of Art with me here. Uh, we have Taj Krishlow and Director X. And we want to give you a bit of a, an introduction to what this new podcast is all about. So, who wants to go first? And explain exactly what you guys will be doing. And obviously, here's a hint, if you're at the
1: end of this podcast, my podcast, Chance
0: Start has something to do with music.
1: So our show is pretty much about, it's in the world of music. It's pretty much us sitting down with uh, storytellers that come from music videos. Uh, I feel like we live in a world where we don't give these these amazing creative uh, artists uh, the flowers they deserve. They create some of the most Uh, impactful uh, content on the planet that gets a lot of eyeballs on it. And coming from the world of music video, being in the business for over 20 years, we felt it was necessary to create a show like Architects to sit down and hear their stories, their come-ups, their journey, their process of creating some of the most iconic music videos, films, and content on the planet. Now, you guys have been deeply involved in this world for, like you say, a long time. Who have you worked with?
2: I've directed videos for Alicia Keys, Puff Daddy, Cisco, uh, uh, Destiny's Child, Drake, Justin Bieber, Two Chains, Rosalia, Iggy Azalea, Sean Paul, Beanie Man, um, Ariana Grande, uh, well, you
0: know. Okay, uh, now, now now you're just bragging.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Corn, John Mayer, the list goes on. Like we, this has literally been um, a crazy journey. And and I would say X is the goat because the, as long as been doing it, like like late '90s to now is still relevant. You know, like we broke our our production company Fella with uh, this music video for uh, for DJ Khaled, Drake, and Bieber called Popstar. So it's 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 been a crazy journey, and um, there were two kids from Brampton, Ontario, that uh, went out to you know make art that broke out to the world, and now we're using our podcast as another form of storytelling, but through an audio uh, medium. Okay, how are you going to make that
0: transition? You've been telling stories through video, now it's going to be only audio, so uh, you're going to have to change your style a little bit, I guess.
2: You know what I mean. We're talking to the creator, so it's a different kind of thing. you know what I mean, um, the, the story is the story of the maker. So it's not conceptualizing music and visuals to it. It's talking like the last the first podcast, the debut of our of the show was with Dave Myers, um, another guy that's been in the game for a long, long time. and just talking about that the philosophy behind his approach to art, the work he's done. And, you know, as well, digging into some of the larger world issues out there. Like we have a whole talk about Black Lives Matter uh, on that podcast and being a white director and his perspective coming up in a black music uh, world. So it's just it's a little different than what we're used to
0: doing. Without any spoilers, give me the kind of stories that you'll be telling.
1: Give me an example of a story. I guess the examples is pretty much their come up. Um, what they, what gravity, what what drew them in to get into this world of uh, filmmaking, um, their influences, um, their highs, their lows, and pretty much their breakthrough moments. And and a lot of times, to your point, um, Alan, like when you watch a music video, you're just seeing the end result, but you don't see what what went into to make that product and, and that, that piece of art affairs, the storyboards and the the art direction and sitting down with your head departments and the collaboration. So it's pretty much, we're, we're, we're giving them that kind of, you know, close set behind experience where you get to see the process of how uh, we get to the finish line. Right.
0: Because I've I've always, I've often watched music videos and wondered where the hell did this come from? What kind of headspace do you have to be in to come up with these images, these storylines, these, you know, things? Uh, And, and I have no idea.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, and that's the point of the show. Like, look, we're probably like around the same age. Like I came up, I came up in the eighties era where that's what made me fall in love with music videos, right? The MTV much music era, watching videos by like Madonna and Peter Gabriel and like Phil Collins and, and Michael Jackson and, uh, uh and aerosmith and i was always fascinated by music videos and the storytelling and the dancing and the style and all that stuff and that's what got that's what made us fall in love with the art so imagine if you could go back in the days and sit down with Duran Duran and talk about the Hungry Like a Wolf video. Like what the hell compelled you guys to be in this jungle and 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 just going through this crazy, crazy story and sitting down with like the best of the best and and hearing the stories of the directors working with Madonna and working with the stones. And that's the beauty about the show. It's like we get that access to these filmmakers, to these artists. I've worked with the biggest and brightest artists in the entertainment business, but learn about that journey, that creative journey, that collaboration to make the work that we see that's now on television or on YouTube. And, And before we jump, I just want to say, please follow us at Architects Pods.
0: Uh, I can't wait for this. Sounds like a great series. Looking forward to it. It's called Art Catechs with Karina Evans, Taj Critchlow, and Director X. And uh, I can't wait to hear some of these stories. Thank you so much, you guys.
2: All right.